Uh, thank you, worship team. Man, I love, uh, I love our practice around here uh, to, uh, to tell stories of life in the body and, and what, what Jesus is doing in our community. Um, love hearing from Rigo and Lauren and, uh, and from Mary with our VBS and the highlight that is every year. And, um, and sing songs. Christians sing. We sing our theology. We sing what we believe. And, uh, and then to hear a, story or a sermon from the text, we've been walking through Luke. And then uh, I'm excited every Sunday uh, we try and send us back out. Today we get to celebrate uh, with our students, our seniors that are graduating. We get, we get to uh, have the privilege of commissioning and sending them uh, to this next season in life uh, and all that God's done in their life around here. So I uh, just want to uh, bring your attention to two Sundays from now, June 4th. Uh, we are having our annual meeting. We're a congregational form of government, so members affirm and vote on the budget that the elders are going to bring. And, uh, and last year, if you remember, we, uh, we had a few initiatives that we were moving forward on. Um, we, we saw comms, communications, as an area to step into. And so we um, invested in Jack and to see that ministry move forward and fun to see some of the increase, even videos, as, a, as an expression of that. Uh, we asked, how, how do we invest in the next generation? So we began a conversation around space and around tactics. And so we tried to build in some family Sundays. I thought Bruce is a, is a gifted guy. I'm thankful he invests in our kids uh, with Aaron and partners with Aaron down in our kids' ministry. And so we began a conversation around tactics as well as space. And so we connected with Building God's Way, and that has now led us to exploring land. And so hopefully we'll have some news on land come, uh, come June 4th. And then third... We've been talking about human sexuality, and so just this past few months, we've been walking through that, and we have our last session, um, and I've been really encouraged. So this session will look a little different. It'll, it'll look like a, a, a review, a brief review into where we've been in the first three, and then uh, a conversation around Second Samuel, where David, King David, uh, reveals you know, though he's a man after God's own heart, there is brokenness that still exists in his life, and he models to us. There's actually reconciliation and forgiveness to be found. And then Ryan and Aaron, who are back from Latin America, are going to share a little bit of their story with us and some of the healing that God's done in their life. And then, uh, and then we're going to uh, sing. We're going to sing and kind of open up uh, some time to reflect in worship um, and possibly whatever God might be stirring in our hearts. But I was so encouraged. Someone sent this email to me. And uh, just to be encouraged about what God's been doing through this conversation just want to let you guys know, you and the church leadership know how much I appreciate the willingness to tackle the topics you are and your intentionality and diligence in digging through the scriptures to reveal what they say on these complex issues. The Sunday evening services have been great. I've especially appreciated the story shared as they revealed it's not a culture war, but a spiritual war that we are fighting, a war for the souls, not for our nation, but of individuals. The current culture fills me with fear and anxiety at times, but each time I go to Hillcrest or interact with the Hillcrest people... I'm reminded that God is in control, that he has a plan, and that we and that there are lots of other great people out there doing their best to figure out what is right and follow God. Thank, thankful to God for everyone at Hillcrest and praying that God continues to impart wisdom on you, keep up the good fight. And so I hope that's what these four weeks have been, kind of just another step saying we want to lovingly stand for, for the hope, the truth, the joy, the gospel. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're wrapping up session four, just what it means that all things are going to be new at some day in the future and today. 
there can be restoration and healing found in Jesus. And so look back into Luke. Here we go. You guys ready? ready. I'm ready. All right, summary of Luke, just where we've been. Just good to get back in Luke and see these themes that are emerging. And so Jesus, like no one else, he is the Messiah. Luke has been telling us that he is God incarnate through the baptism and genealogy, overcomes Satan through these temptations, and salvation is here. But through Capernaum and Nazareth, we see that many miss this guy. Many miss this guy, and so Luke tries to demonstrate that we can find certainty in who he is through his power, his message, and his followers begin accumulating. And so we see his power over disease, nature, sin, and death. And the challenge is, you may be a skeptic. You may hear these stories and go, that that didn't really happen. And so if that's true for you, we're going to get there in Luke someday, uh, maybe next year. But this dude rises from the dead, and you can press into that fact. And what he claims in his message is radical thinking, radical living and loving. And his followers begin leaving everything else identified, saying, I I used to sit on the throne of my heart. Jesus needs to sit on the throne of my heart. And we see it's not the people you would necessarily expect. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He talks about this. He says, when you encounter Jesus, you either see him as a liar His message just wasn't true. He's just straight lying to us. He's a lunatic that that we can't really believe what he said. He was just this crazy guy wandering around in the first century. Or the third is, he's Lord. And so, did anyone see this a couple weeks ago? Anyone watch the coronation? Uh, Donna did. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Jim. So, So I saw the stat that there were 19 million viewers or something in the coronation. And the people who watched the, uh, F, uh, the, the football championship uh, for college was like at 22 million. So there was like this weighted difference on what we pay attention to. But for me, th- there's something about this that strikes me. Because what C.S. Lewis says, you either think he's a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. But sometimes what it feels like is the way we attribute lordship to Jesus is the same way we understand King Charles is the king of England doesn't bring all that thrill to our life. It's not all that interesting or engaging. He's a kindly grandfather that kind of is doing his thing and has very little impact on my life. Luke today is going to try and give us a story, the epitome of what he believes, the the pinnacle for him of trying to help us recognize Jesus really is who he claimed to be. And there's an interaction he invites us into. And so I want to read the text. And then we're going to try and look at the evidence Luke gives to say, to answer the question, who is this guy? So here's, here's Luke 9, 28 to 36. And if you're new with us this morning, this is our practice. We just, we just walk through the text and then we try and apply it. There's not much glamour, not much sizzle, and yet we hope this is what we anchor our life in. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And the men were parting. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
and knowing what he said, this is how you guys know I'm, I'm being sanctified. I would have said bless you, but instead I continued on. I did not get distracted one bit. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Similar to Kim Charles, sometimes we might see Jesus as this lovingly grandfather figure or God as this grandfather figure that has very little to do with my life. Instead, Luke tells this story. He knows we all need a clear vision of the glory of Christ. And Jesus here gives us the awe-inspiring brilliance of who he is. Through this transfiguration story, Jesus gives us the brilliance of who he is when he comes again. So let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll dig into the text. Oh God, we, we want to see you for who you are. And, and so many times in this life, there's so many other things competing for our affection and energy. And, and so we just long to see this brilliance. Luke includes this to tell us more of who you are. So help us see you more clearly this morning. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory. Amen. So uh, three times thus far in Luke, we've heard this question. Three times thus far in Luke, we've heard, who is this? And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Later in chapter 7, same thing. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Word reached so far in their community, it reaches Herod's table, and he asks, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And so, now about eight days after, after what? Anyone want to take a guess? Eight days after what? These sayings. Here's what Peter said about eight days ago. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples asked him, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, the one of the prophets of old, has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ of God. (laughs) What does Jesus say immediately after that? Because Peter got it somewhat right, but he was unclear about this element. The Christ actually is going to suffer, be rejected, and killed and raised. And there's a costly road that comes for those that follow this guy. Those who follow the Christ deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow him. And this Christ is absolutely unique. There is no one else like him. Guess what we're going to find in the text this morning that Luke is trying to tell us about that reality. He starts here. The glory of Jesus is a glory seeing he is God and there is none other. 
So now about eight days after these sayings, he takes Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Here's what it feels like to me. In the Midwest, this is like taking someone to your favorite fishing spot, right? I mean, this is like sacred ground. You don't give up your favorite hunting spot. You don't give up your favorite fishing spot. But he's bringing these guys into to sacred space. And he goes up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. So there's this massive reality that Luke's trying to invite us into by recounting the story. The first one, Jesus is the guy, his face was altered. And so I just want to read a few other texts that speak to other authors trying to describe what it's like when you see this guy in his glory. Ezekiel 1, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it as if it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that's in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around this guy. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Daniel tries to, uh, tries to record what he's seeing. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning like fire. Do you guys remember when Moses went up on the mountain encounter God? He's now glowing after encountering God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony of his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation. And afterwards, all the people came near and he commanded them that the Lord had spoken with him. That's why, like Moses, why are you glowing? Not something in him, but because he had encountered this glory. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Acts 9, this is Paul encountering the Lord on the road. Now, he went his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This theme of light, this bright light, this brightness, and then something we long for in Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white. You guys feel a theme? They're just trying to describe what they're seeing. They're trying to describe this glory, and these are the words, the best words they can come up with. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a fire, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore of the keys of death and Hades. There's this consistent theme, and that's what Luke's trying to say. He's validating, who is this? Let me tell you who this guy is. And Peter, when trying to encourage his readers... Of all the places he could go, goes back to this memory of his encounter with Jesus. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter's trying to encourage his readers to continue to move forward in faith. Where does he go? 
he goes to this moment. So let's go to this moment. What does Peter see? (laughs) He sees the glory of Jesus as a superiority and fulfillment to all that's been promised in the Old Testament. He's blinded by this light. He's he's overwhelmed. And then he sees two figures. And when he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling light white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, when you guys read this, what questions start to come to your mind? Because I have one or two. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Did they have like divine name tags or something? Did they introduce themselves? Were they like, hey, what's up? Is there, I, what, what kind of is the tell sign that these are the guys? Does Luke tell us? He doesn't tell us. What do you think? Because that's not his point, right? He's telling us that it was Moses and Elijah. Now, people speculate as to why, right? Why is it? So I'll give you my best understanding of how it makes sense in my head, but I think there's other reasons that people could attribute. But Moses and Elijah, has anyone ever been to uh, the, I think it's the Senate Hall or the House in Washington, D.C.? You guys ever been in there? So there's a few figures on the wall, and they're all half-faced. But there's one figure front and center, full-faced. Anybody know who that guy is? Moses, the great lawgiver, right? And so in our country, we even understand a lot of our values and morals come from Moses, the great lawgiver, given the law by God. And so Moses. And then Elijah. Anybody know the story of Elijah? So, so go back and read them if you're just looking for a light read someday. This guy, this guy just kind of this guy just kind of kicked butt and took names. It's just what he did, right? So he never, he didn't die. He was taken into heaven. And there's an encounter recorded between him and these false prophets. 400, does anybody know the number? 450? Does anybody know the number? I'm going to test my Old Testament knowledge here. There's a lot of them, and there's one of him. And there's an interaction where he's determining who's the real God. And so they determined the activity was going to be, let's build an altar, and whosoever God lights the thing is the real God. So he has this interaction, and his tool, his methodology, in order to light this altar, do you guys remember what it was, the the thing that he used? Water. He's like, let's just pour some water on this thing. And then God shows up and just incinerates the altar as well as the people in the area. And behold, two men were talking with him. Why these two men? Why not Abraham? Why not Isaiah? It seems Moses as the great lawgiver and then Elijah as a representation of the great prophets. That this is Jesus demonstrating superiority over the law and the prophets, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. This thing fascinated me. The word there, and I rarely do this because I I don't want the Bible to be inaccessible. The word used for departure, exodus. So they spoke about Jesus, exodus. Greater than Moses. Moses brought the people out of Egypt. Greater than Moses. Jesus is going to bring his people out. How? In the most counterintuitive way. His death, resurrection, and ascension. 
And it's so counterintuitive because we buy, we buy that stuff as jewelry, right? You might even be wearing a cross now. That's the idea of wearing a gas chamber for a Jewish man that might have been challenged during Nazi concentration camp. For someone in the French Revolution, a guillotine. This is just so counterintuitive and they're still trying to figure this guy out. So the glory of Jesus, Luke says, he's like no other and he shines. The glory of Jesus seen as superiority and fulfillment and then the words spoken over him. Luke is trying to tell us this isn't just King Charles getting anointed to be king of England and we kind of go, yeah, that's cool and that's nice. He's trying to tell us this is my chosen one. And as the men were parting, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love, can you imagine getting, getting the book review, right? Luke sends his book to Peter and says, hey, here's, here's my recording. Peter opens up, flips to this thing, and, and this is how he's remembered. I kind of made a comment and not really knowing why I said it, right? So there's some people that, that step into that a little bit more. I'm going to trust in your life groups if you want to go there. But he says, not knowing what he said, he's just kind of overwhelmed by the situation. He just wants this moment to last longer. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those kind of glory cloud moments where you're like, Jesus, I just want this to last a little longer. Peter, not knowing what he said, I think is just overwhelmed with the situation. I mean, I remember going to student conferences. I don't know if this was true for you guys, but going to districts where it just feels like I just want these moments to last a little longer, to be in that glory cloud moment. I remember walking through infertility and, and sitting in some of those moments just longing for Jesus' presence to be felt longer and longer, just feeling he was so close and so present with us in the midst of that challenge. I think Peter's just overwhelmed. He's seeing the presence of God in his life and going, can we just stay here a little longer? And he was saying these things and a cloud came over and overshadowed them. And they were afraid and they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of that cloud. That presence. Because where was that cloud reserved for in the Old Testament, right? I haven't seen this for a very long time. That's, that's how I'm reading it. Because he mentions this three times. And yet now... Jesus is showing about his departure. How accessible is that cloud going to be based upon the illustrations you just heard me give? It's going to be available and present always. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So interesting, interesting moment here. You guys want a little, I wouldn't call it a segue. This is, this is. This is right in line. The other guys choose a different word. They don't include chosen one. Why does Luke? There's a possibility, and I'm going to try and make the plea here as we turn, but this is preceding it. Why does he say my chosen one? Turn with me or listen as I read Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, 
in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. But what? My chosen one isn't going to be the exalted, lifted up in the way that we in the world think. Instead, a bruised reed he will not break and faintly burning wick he will not quench. He faithfully brings forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. And it continues, it is a sense that Jesus is coming as this suffering servant. Did we just hear him say that earlier? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so we're going to pick it up in a second, but I want to just sit here for one minute. That glory cloud. What's the prayer we pray around here to help us try and remember that God is present? God, what are you inviting me into today? God, what are you inviting me into today? Do we believe that God is present in these moments? So often it feels to me When suffering hits my life, my immediate response is, God, where are you? What are you doing? Rather than believing he is present and may actually have something for us. Prayer is the work. Did the disciples maybe fall asleep when there were some pretty cool things going on? Might they have told Jesus, we're tired? Do we sometimes use that same phrase in the midst of our day? I'm just tired. Rather than, God, what are you inviting me into? And God says, listen to him. What specifically might we be listening to? I'm going to read those words again that came after eight days prior that Jesus had shared. Eight days prior, these were the words he shared. And then God says, listen to him. What specifically might, be he, might he be encouraging them to listen to? And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world And loses and forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So, what would it look like? How do we listen to Jesus? Around here, we we have a phrase what would it look like to have an everyday meeting with the King? They're standing there in the presence of Jesus, and yet, What happened in their life? They grew tired. Did they on some level understand, we want to hang with Jesus, and yet what took place? They got tired. So we encourage us around here, set your alarm to 104, to Luke 1.4, as a reminder that God is present. Because do we get spiritually apathetic and sleepy from time to time? I think so. 
Do we sometimes, right in the middle, while maybe Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about his departure, kind of suddenly wake up and go, man, there's something happening here. What might cause us to wake up? It could be when your phone goes off at 104 to be reminded, God, what are you inviting me into? Because so often it feels like we're bombarded by our circumstances rather than actually believing God might have for us something in that. And then, how do we listen to Jesus? He says, listen to my son. What is that? We yield to Jesus directing in our life. We do deny, we do take up, we do follow. And he promises he will save our life. We talk around joy in Jesus in here. And sometimes when we hear deny ourselves, sometimes it feels like we're feeling like we got to give something up. Like, oh, man. I don't know if I can give that up. I, I just, I, I'm not sure I can. It just seems hard, Jesus. But instead, what might it look like to yield to Jesus directing of our life, believing his direction is more like a steak than the hot dog we might be holding? We are denying ourselves something, right? But denying ourselves the hot dog to actually experience the steak that is life with Jesus. And then he makes one more call to action there at the end. He says, we forfeit the world's value system and live by Jesus. He says, we will gain life. We won't be ashamed, he says, down the road. He won't be ashamed of us by giving up this world's value system. What is that? I think for us, money, sex, and power feel like the big metric And so where do we actually forfeit the world's metric system to find more life in Christ in one of those three areas? Money, sex, and power. We're doing this human sexuality initiative because we understand for many there is joy to be had in whatever area or aspect of expression that might be. Instead, we say there's life in Jesus. And so the question I will land again is, what is God inviting you into today? Much like the disciples, what do they fight against? Sleepiness. Might we wake up to the circumstances we encounter every single day and pray with desperate dependence, God, what are you inviting me into? Yeah, come on, perfect timing, Jack. Look at that, seamless. Rather than our initiatives and what we would like to see accomplished, might we open our hearts, open our lives to pray with desperate dependence, believing prayer is the work. As we enter our day, the very first thing, God, what do you have for me today? Do we begin seeing this life as an adventure, knowing Luke is validating for us, who is this guy? And so we pray, God, what are you inviting us into? So pray with me as we continue in worship. God, that's our prayer. We see you for who you are, dazzling white, validating all that's come before you in this moment with Moses and Elijah, and yet you're the only one left standing there. And then a voice, God the Father speaking, this is my chosen one, the suffering servant who will come to die and help people find life in his name. We believe you are actively inviting us into moments every single day to experience that reality more. 
May we pray with greater desperate dependence. God, what do you have for us in our Monday to Saturday? Always for your glory we pray. Amen.